Thanks for joining us on episode 1,332 of the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. I'm Laura Doyle. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to understand the secret of loving your spouse is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mater. But I could focus on my own happiness. It's sort of like being stuck in traffic, right? Like, You might wish the traffic would move, but you can't make it move. But you could decide, like, I'm going to talk uh, on the phone to my friend, or I'm going to listen to music I love, or I'm going to listen to a show that I love, a podcast I love. And and then you could even be grateful for that time that you're stuck in traffic, right, instead of... Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In today's podcast episode, I interview Laura Doyle. I asked Laura to share with you her journey to launch a movement to help wives learn how to have a happy marriage and end divorce, Laura shares with you her keys to finding happiness in marriage, despite the fact that the world says it's impossible. And I also asked Laura about her faith and how that played a role in her discovery of the principles she teaches. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today, you find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from. And instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. New York Times bestselling author Laura Doyle was the perfect wife until she actually got married. When she told her husband how to be a tidier, more romantic, and more ambitious, he avoided her. So she dragged him to marriage counseling and nearly divorced him. In desperation, she asked happily married women for their secrets, and that's when she got her miracle. The man who had wooed her returned. Laura's books have been translated into 19 languages in 30 countries and accidentally started a worldwide movement. Laura's mission is to end world divorce. She is the founder of the International Relationship Coach Training School, Laura Doyle Connect, the star of Empowered Wives on Amazon Prime, the creator of the Ridiculously Happy Wife program, and the host of the Empowered Wife podcast, and she has appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and The View. She's helped over 15,000 women fix their relationships, even the hopeless ones, without their husband's effort. But the thing that Laura is most proud of is her gratifying 31-year marriage with her hilarious husband, John, who's been dressing himself since before she was born. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's great to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on and have you share with the listeners a little bit. So I shared some in the intro, but... Like any introduction, it probably it leaves a lot of stuff out. <laughs> That's always the truth. Could you share a little bit more about you know your own journey and what put you on this quest to end divorce and help folks in those relationships and do the work that you do? Yeah, that last part about ending world divorce that is was an accident. I was just trying to save my own <laughs> marriage, which was in a ditch, big time. We had been married for probably six or seven years, and mm. my husband just didn't want to spend any time with me. He he was really interested in watching like reruns on TV more than he would be in talking to me or even making love to me. And I knew something was terribly wrong because we had wall-to-wall hostility and 
or we had cold wars, which is no talking for several days, just very tense around the house, like awkward roommates. And so I knew what to do though. I knew that meant that I needed to take him to marriage counseling because everyone knows that's what you're supposed to do. And then the counselor could fix him and then I could finally be happy and have the kind of marriage I really wanted, which I, I did want a really good marriage. I wanted that really bad. But it just wasn't happening. So we went to marriage counseling. Well, he was broken. He was broken, Scott. Thank you. That's exactly <laughs> what was going on. And so it was clearly him, all him. And the counselors even validated that. Like, yep, yep. He, it's him. And we went for years, over a year. And we spent like $9,000. And at the end of that, I remember I was sitting on the marriage counselor's gray couch when I realized this is hopeless and he's never going to change and we're too far apart. So I knew I could either live the rest of my life in a loveless marriage or else I was going to have to get divorced. And so mm-hmm. I decided I would get divorced. The only problem was I was too embarrassed to get divorced. I didn't want to lose status. People had been to the wedding not that long before that. So in my desperation, I decided I was going to ask women who'd been happily married for what seemed like an eternity, which is 15 years, what their secrets were. What? Did, how did they have a happy marriage? And I thought they were going to say, well, you got to marry the right guy, and maybe you didn't. But they didn't say that. Instead, they said things that sounded pretty As crazy. guy, I'll say it out loud. There are no right guys. <laughs> <laughs> but by I, the way, there are no right women either. So it's okay. I, that's right. That's exactly right. right? And we, I, I do see there seem to be some big differences. So anyway, so then I thought I'm going to try these crazy ideas they've given me, even though I think they're crazy because I've got nothing else. What, why not? Yeah, nothing else. I got nothing right? to lose. So I started experimenting with some of the things that they said. And it was not even that long afterwards that I walked through the door to our house. My husband was already home. He looked up, he saw me, and his face lit up. Mm. He smiled. He's happy to see me again. And that had been gone. So I thought, oh, something's working here. And I was very excited because I thought, now I'm finally going to be able to have that marriage that I dreamed of having when I stood at the altar and said, I do. And because I know what to do and it's made sense and everything. So so then not that long after that, we we're in the car and we had this big blow up like where I was saying horrible things to him and he was being horrible right back. We were just going, I knew I was going to regret these things I was saying. And I thought, oh, we oh. say him anyway. Yeah. Say him anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. It just came out. Like it's almost involuntary. It was like before I could even go, whoa. And I thought, oh, I thought this wasn't going to happen anymore. And now here it, it's happening some more. So I knew I needed something else. And so I had this idea that if I could get my girlfriends that were complaining about their marriages, if I get them to do this with me, we could have a little support group. Maybe that would give me the encouragement. I call it encouragement and supervision, kind of like <laughs> accountability to make the changes that I needed to make. And the new way wasn't so hard. It was just new. Right. So I did that. I got four of my girlfriends and we met in my living room and we they were seeing miracles. We were all seeing miracles in our relationship. So we were, we knew we were onto something. Like one of them, her husband won the sales contest at work and took her on the most romantic getaway of their lives. And another one said, you guys aren't going to think this is a miracle, but believe me, it is. We've been arguing for months about him painting the family room and he got up and he painted the family room. He did it with a smile. This is a miracle. So <laughs> we're like, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty. And then one of them know. said, "We talk about painting it. Doesn't that count?" <laughs> he get partial credit for that, Scott, but not really. No, she wanted the family room painted. She wanted it actually. What? Wanted actual paint on the walls? <laughs> she wanted actual paint on the walls, and not on the floors and things like that. So, and so she got that. So then one of them said to me, "Could you write down what we're doing for my cousin in Florida? Because we're in California." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to write that out." And I did. And that became my first book. And a Dateline came and did an investigative report. There were no murders. At the time, they just did other things besides murders, <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> but And the next day, they followed one of my workshop participants around and stuff. And the next day, um, we I woke up and my book was number one on all of Amazon. Everybody wanted to get their hands on this, these six intimacy skills that we were using. And 
that became a New York Times bestseller, ended up being translated into 19 languages, 30 countries. And now there's this whole worldwide movement of women who think that marriage is important because it is, and they're willing to invest in learning and developing themselves to have a stronger one so we can have stronger families because the world depends on that. And so now, and now I'm on this mission to end world divorce. We have a, a coaching programs, a, a train coaches. I have well over a hundred coaches all over the world who help women implement these six intimacy skills. We provide that encouragement and supervision uh, <laughs> so that they can improve their marriages. And it's really fun. We've helped thousands of women now fix their marriages and become playful and passionate. So let me ask you a couple of, I've got other questions to ask too, but some follow-up questions come to mind. And the first one is, let's stop bury the lead. We won't necessarily give away details on everything of all of them, just because we don't have time to go into everything on all of them. But can you have a, a top two or three? What are some of the things that you saw that were were life-changing, were shifts that you made? as the wife in the relationship that began to move things in the right direction. All right. There's one, especially that I just would love to give to absolutely every woman needs this. And I just want to share the formula for it. And I'll, there's a little embarrassing story that kind of goes along with it, which is that my husband took us on a romantic getaway to Hawaii. And I was super excited about that. Cause I thought, Oh, I'm going to, we're going to go to the beach. I can't wait to go to the beach. I would love to go to the beach. And, but instead of saying that I said to him, what would you like to do today? And he said, let's go see a volcano. And I was like, oh, oh, a volcano. But I didn't want to have any conflict. I really just wanted to be close. So I said, okay, I'm just going to suck it up and we'll go see this volcano. So we're driving. We'll go to the, the beach tomorrow. Yeah, we'll go to the beach tomorrow. We're going to be here for a while. But <laughs> we're driving in the rental car and it's dry. We just, there's no volcano for a long time. Just little molten rocks on the side of the road. And I started to think, God, we could have been at the beach right now. And he's, was anything, is everything okay? You know, something wrong? And I was like, did you think this would be fun? Because I don't think it's fun at all. I think it's really stupid. You didn't even ask me what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the beach. You said, drive around this stupid car. So he saw a volcano. <laughs> oh, you've had that conversation? I've had that conversation. <laughs> Early in our marriage. We don't anymore. We've been married 27 <laughs> years. So we don't have that conversation anymore. We've grown past it. But Thank we did early on. Thank uh, you. Yeah, good. Yeah. Unfortunately, this was not the only conversation we had where I used <laughs> that particular tone of voice. And I feel so sad for that earlier version of me because I had no idea how to say what I wanted. And mm -hmm. if you can't say what you want, you're never going to get what you want. So I have a formula now that I much prefer to use. And do you know, actually, my, my husband took me to the beach right after that. We never did see the volcano. <laughs> he, he, he turned he the car around. Yeah. yeah, he turned the car around. He's like, oh, oh, you want to go to the beach? Okay, we're, that's what we're doing. He right. just wanted me to be happy. Uh, and I used to do this like with the dishes and stuff. I would say, um, John, this kitchen is a disaster area. And I thought he was going to jump off the couch, turn off the TV, and then come in and clean the kitchen. And that never happened. But finally, He actually I, would look at it and go, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I supposed to do about it? And I thought I was communicating what I wanted, but right. I wasn't. I was just complaining. So he didn't even know what I wanted. So finally, I think he probably couldn't even hear me. He probably was like, John, blah, 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 like the Peanuts parents or something. So I finally said, John, I would love a clean kitchen. And he's like, okay, he goes, I'll clean it. And he did. And it was like, I was like, this is great. And that was over 20 years ago. He's been cleaning the kitchen ever since. Because it makes his wife happy. And it turns out, I've asked thousands of men this question now. I'll say, how important is it to you that your wife is happy? And Scott, maybe I'll put you on the spot. Very, here. What, very, very. very. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You just gave the same answer they all give. They say it's very important. It's the most important thing. Yeah. They say it's everything. In the UK, they say it's imperative. Yeah. This is a universal quality wonderful universal quality that we find in husbands all over, but they need to know what it is we desire. So I have that formula and I said it just now, it went by pretty quick though, but I want to just give it to everybody and write this down if you can, because I use it not just with my husband, but I use it with my team. I use it with a customer service rep, with a contractor, with 
I use it with my friends. I use it just all over town. And that formula for expressing your desires in a way that inspires is, I would love, and then just the final outcome. I remember I had a student who said, I would love for him to make more money, which is not, that's not a final outcome that's whatsoever. Outcome. It's his yep. control, actually. And then she said, I said, what would you have that you don't have now if he made more money? She's, I could buy myself things. And that's, I think she first said she'd have more money. And money's not even a means, right. it's a means to an end. It's not specific. She could buy herself things. And then I said, what would you buy? And then she said, I would, I need some new boots. So for her, it was just, I would love new boots and no need to go into how that happens. You need to go make more money. Or I used to say things like, okay, I want a new dress for my birthday, but, and there's, I want the blue one at the in the window at Macy's. It's the three, three quarter sleeves, but it's going on sale next week. So don't buy it until it goes on sale. And by this time it's like, he's no, I'm not inspired yeah. at all. I just sorry, I stopped listening about what were you talking about again? It's just, <laughs> so just and you have to, there's some trust involved. It's a little bit vulnerable in a way because if you say I would love and just the final outcome, he's gonna make it happen his own way. I've had women say, I would love a clean kitchen. And the husband says, Okay, kids, let's clean the kitchen. Mom wants it clean, right? And so maybe she thought he was gonna clean it. And she's maybe not going to get the same quality job that she got, but the end result is the same, right? So you can just receive graciously that he was trying to make your desires come true. And one of the, yeah. So (laughs) my wife and I actually had a conversation fairly early in our marriage. And I think you will recognize this one where I actually stopped her and I said, okay, you can ask me to do something or you can tell me how to do something. It's very bothersome to me when you do both. Because <laughs> yeah. like, like, yeah. if it's really important to you that it be done a certain way, then tell me how to do it because I need to know. It's It, it actually matters how I do it because there is a particular way you want it done. For us, it was not loading the dishwasher, but I know for a lot of people it is. <laughs> it, it, but that kind of thing. On the other hand, if it's just you want the outcome you want the dishwasher loaded, then leave me alone and let me load it my own way (laughs) and be okay with that. And it is that it's a subtle thing, but it's really not. There's, it is frustrating. It feels micromanaging. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know that's not where it comes from, but that's what it feels like. (laughs) How helpful to know that. I think one of the things I didn't realize in my early days of our marriage is that helpful in wife language or giving helpful instructions is critical in husband it language. It feels critical. Yeah. feels critical. So, so thanks for validating that. So that's still to my female brain, but no, I'm just trying to help. But it doesn't matter. You still come off like his smother mother. And men are not physically attracted to their mothers, sexually attracted to their mothers. And women are not sexually attracted to their sons. So this can be a, have a very chilling effect mm-hmm. on the romantic part of relationship. Yeah, and I I love what you're sharing. And by the way, <laughs> I'll say this out loud just for any of the guys that are listening and go, hey, we're talking about the wives here. First off, obviously, if you're in a relationship, whether or not your wife is happy is an important part of your relationship. She will also be happier if she learns these things. But I would also say for the guys, there's a learning piece on our side, too. And there are things that we can do and ways we can communicate like I have learned to look at my wife and say, you're sharing right now. Do you want my help or are you just sharing? I'm just sharing. Okay, then I can listen (laughs) because now I know the rules. (laughs) I'm just supposed to listen. That's it. Okay, good. I got it. I'm good at that. I can do that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And if she wants help and wants advice, okay, I can do that too. The problem is I think sometimes we think they want one when they actually want the other. They just want to share. Or they just don't guess, ask. That <laughs> oh. <laughs> makes so much sense. And one of the things that I discovered early on too, when I, when I had, I was a stroke of genius, really, when I realized I needed other women to support mm-hmm. me in this journey. And part of it is because it turns out I need other women to support me to this day. Absolutely. Even though I've got some pretty good habits now. If I want to just talk endlessly about stuff, then I've got girlfriends and sisters that 
that'll do that with me, <laughs> my niece. <laughs> but but if I want to do that with my husband, I'm going to be disappointed eventually <laughs> because there's this. I think there was a study that said I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it was something like women have more than have fifteen thousand days. I'm sorry, fifteen thousand words a day more that they use uh, in general than men. And it's at six o'clock at night. It's the same all over. The men are out of words, and the women are like still. We got, still going, I got a lot to say. Yeah. I, I want to talk some more. So, yeah, they, they, so we really do need a community of other women. I think women. It's an average of twelve to fifteen thousand words a day, with gust and burst up to twenty thousand. Yeah. Occasional gust up to twenty. You know? uh, <laughs> That's and, right. And men, it's around ten. It's around <laughs> eight to ten thousand. And most of those, a lot of times, depending on what they do for a living. They've legit used them up by the time they get home at the end of the day. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. I I talk all day. This is part of what I do. And my wife knows that. And so we do have, I get a certain amount of time (laughs) to recharge the battery a little bit. And then if we need to have a conversation, we're going to have a conversation. That's fine. I can do it. We have to give that space. And again, it's, I guess, you're you're addressing the female side, and I guess my point is, just like you started with, you felt like he was broken and someone needed to fix him. I have seen guys feel that way about their wives, and I guess what I'm saying out loud is, no, this is on both of our sides. Yeah. <laughs> no, but someone yeah. has to own it and start. That's true, you know? and I also think in some ways, I love this wonderful quality about men that you just validated when I said, how important is it to you that your wife is happy? Mm -hmm. And you said, oh, very. So that's fantastic because there's this thing about men where they just really care deeply about us being happy. And I I know for me, I also thought that it was my husband's job to make me happy, Uh, which of course, no, nobody else can do. I have to be responsible for my own happiness. And I was afraid that if I showed up happy, that would mean he thought, oh, everything he's doing is okay when it, when I didn't think it was. I thought having this sour face all the time, you're not making me happy. That was going to somehow motivate him to change or straighten him up. I don't know what I thought he was going to do, but that didn't work. So it was really important for both of our sakes that I ended up figuring out that my own happiness had to come first. It, it turns out, and this was like, this was a mind blowing, I'm going to say it and it's going to sound like, yeah, duh, but only happy people have happy relationships. <laughs> they like drop the mic, boom. You no, know? like, oh, really? I and- actually think that's more insightful than you think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, but it it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't obvious. And when I wasn't making myself happy, I thought it was because of my relationship problems that I was unhappy. And then it turns out, it's like, what if you just got happy first? What? It, this is the very first the very first intimacy skill that we direct all our students to when they arrive on our campus. And it's actually it's a challenging one for a lot of women because I think a lot of times we've forgotten that we are girls who just want to have fun, like Cindy Lauper's incredible anthem that she wrote. And we haven't seen her in a while because we got concerned with the making paying the bills and raising the kids and going to work and doing all the chores. And we forgot. What makes us happy? What do I want to do? Uh, what's frivolous fun for me? What brings mm-hmm. me joy? So we ask them to make a list of 20 things along those lines. And a lot of times people like get to three and they're like, I can't think of anything. I forget what uh, makes me happy. I was say 20 would be a tough, tough number to come up with for most people, I would imagine. Well, you know, it can, some of them can be small and then they can be simple, right? Uh, I know for me, like I just love to play my Wordle on my phone or Words with Friends or something and I love to go for a walk or listen to a podcast or, and those things can fill me up. Right. There's other, there's bigger, I love to play volleyball. There's bigger things too. Right. Maybe it's like, Oh, I want to travel. Yeah. There's lots of things. And then if you can commit to doing at least three of those things a day, I loved this specificity of this because there's a lot of, gosh, you got to love yourself first to have a good relationship or what I never really understood what that meant. Should I hug myself? Or 
I didn't know, but I knew if I was doing three things a day to make myself happy, then I could give myself a check mark, which I really love getting check marks. And then I would be like, okay, I worked on my marriage today. And if anybody asks why I'm laying by the pool, reading a book and drinking lemonade, it's I'm doing this for my marriage. I'm working on my marriage, trying to make it happier by becoming a happier person myself. But I think that's fundamentally what you're pointing out is that you had to own your own happiness. You needed to stop looking for that to come from outside, so to speak, your husband specifically, but even other things, I think sometimes we chase happiness all sorts of ways, (laughs) including some very unhealthy ones sometimes that we set ourselves up for failure because we're looking for something outside to always be that thing that Again, well, if he would just, or if she would, yeah, just, is the beginning just. of a lot of That's sentences. Right. <laughs> That's know? right. It you really know. is. Yeah. I had a student once where when she came, she was really in a bad way. She had five kids and their marriage had been really struggling for 19 of the 20 years. And she even had said, I feel like I want to just die. I just don't, mm. my marriage is really my husband has said he wished we don't ha- we didn't have kids and he should have never married me and he doesn't love me anymore and he's flirting with other women and just really a mess. And then she one of the things so we asked her to do the self-care piece, right? And she said I've been waiting around every weekend like to see what plans he's going to make and I feel like a statue sometimes because I'm like is he going to does he want to be with me and the kids or What's he going to, and then of course he never planned the things that she wanted to do because he didn't know what she wanted to do because she was just waiting around like a statue. So she started doing this. She started doing her three things a day and making herself happier. And she said, I feel like even if this doesn't work on my marriage, I'm already winning because I I do feel happier. And then one time she was folding the laundry, but she was listening to a podcast she loves. So she was listening. She was smiling. She was happy. All of a sudden her husband comes over and he wants to have a conversation with her. She's I'm listening to my podcast right now. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, wait, no, I always wanted him to do this. And so he was just interested to talk to her. And I think we do become more attractive when I think we're never hotter, actually, than when we're laughing, smiling, dancing, singing in the kitchen. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's um, when we become irresistible magnets. And nobody so, wants to be around a, a sourpuss all the time. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we want to be around happy people at work, in our relationships, <laughs> at play, whatever. That's one of the but, reasons we all want to kill our ch- teenage children. Um, <laughs> you know. Oh, because they're sourpusses. They're sourpusses for a few years, and they then they grow be. out of it. They can be. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Then they grow out of it, and then they're better. Yeah. And then they're better. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of different directions we could go, and I'm going to try to explore some of them, but also keep us on, on track a little bit. So how did... Your faith journey, because that's part of what I like to explore with people is how did faith affect and how was it affected by that kind of journey you were on with your marriage? It was huge, Scott. It's such a, that's such a great question. And I don't get asked that very much. And it really was such an incredible spiritual journey because in some ways, my husband was like a metaphor for God. I didn't Mm -hmm. trust my husband and I thought I knew better. And I wanted to run the show. (laughs) And by really surrendering, really identifying that I I couldn't change my husband, right? I couldn't tell him not effective, have it be effective. I couldn't tell him how to dress or what to do at work or what to eat for lunch. That that would really hurt the intimacy between us. But I could focus on my own happiness. It's like being stuck in traffic, right? Like you might wish the traffic would move, but you can't make it move. But you could decide, I'm going to talk on the phone to my friend, or I'm going to listen to music I love, or I'm going to listen to a show that I love, a podcast I love. And then you could even be grateful for that time that you're stuck in traffic, right? Instead of fuming and fretting about it. So this concept of surrendering... If it hadn't been for the wisdom of no escape, like I was either going to lose face by getting divorced or I was stuck. I was stuck in this marriage as far as I could tell. I don't think I ever would have gone through the door marked introspection, self-reflection, and really seen that I was lacking in some of the qualities that I that I, I admire, that I mm-hmm. desire to have, the qu- quality of being a respectful wife. 
I thought I was respectful, except for the way he dressed and the way he drove and how he ate so much junk, right? So it's like I wasn't respectful at all. Didn't have that quality. I thought, and then the way I, you know, demonstrated how I, I would rage at him sometimes, like I did in Hawaii. But that was not a, a, a good quality to have. But I didn't know, I didn't know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And my marriage ended up being that. The dojo, I guess you'd say, the place where the work happened that I got those edges smoothed off and became a better version of myself by developing some of those virtues, virtues, some of those, yeah, some of the spiritual virtues that uh, I'm so proud and happy to say that I have developed now. And this was the way that I did it. Mm-hmm. So, why do you think? If you had to sum it up as the root cause, you know, why, why is there so much unhappy? It's almost a joke, right? You know, that every marriage is an unhappy marriage. That's the, almost becomes the, the rule in a way, even though that obviously fundamentally cannot possibly be true, but it's still, that becomes the joke, the punchline. Why do you think that is in our society? What's the root cause of that unhappiness? I, I do think that I I know for me I had this expectation that my husband and I should see the world the same way like we should that agreement meant sameness mm. and and we're not the same Scott and I don't I know only a little I only know about my marriage and I've been sharing my experience with thousands of women I've had a a wonderful chance to sit have a like a ringside seat to a lot of the things that go on in other marriages and I see that we aren't the same. In fact, one of the things I, I love to, as an as a metaphor for it, is this idea of yin and yang. So, if you take a coffee cup, for example, this the every object even has this yin and yang, this masculine feminine part. So, the coffee cup, the ceramic part, and the handle—that's the yang. That's the masculine, and the yin is the part that receives the coffee. And without the ability to receive coffee. A coffee cup has no purpose. So as the yin, the feminine, me being receptive gives my husband purpose. So even when I express that desire, I would love a clean kitchen. Like all of a sudden he gets purpose. He's like, and then he gets a chance to be my hero and he cleans the kitchen and I go, oh my gosh, this kitchen is so clean. I love this. And he feels proud and I feel taken care of. I feel adored and cherished. And it's a beautiful complementary system, but I think we've gotten away from it. I, I think we forget that was how it was set up to begin with and, and all the beauty that happens when you do that, when you trust your husband. Yeah, I remember one of my students, when she first got her hands on this work, uh, she she was in a bad way. They'd been sleeping in separate beds for six months, and it was her second marriage, splendid family. And... Uh, it looked like they were going to get divorced too. She'd been going to marriage counseling for uh, every week by herself because he wouldn't go. And she was just complaining to the counselor about her husband for an hour a week, which never made anybody happier, turns out. You think it's going to work, but it, that never works. <laughs> anyway, she read the book and she decided to use one of the cheap phrases. He, he said to her, and she was the, the chief financial officer of a big private school. So she knew how to manage money and stuff like that. And she was trying to help her husband, which we already determined to criticize her husband, right? be better with money. And he said, well, you got to tell me what you want me to do with the cell phone plan. And so she used this little cheat phrase that we really, it's one of many cheat phrases that we use that are kind of like the way you teach children to say please and thank you to cultivate a gr- grateful heart. So the cheap phrase that she fell to was, oh, whatever you think, Doug, whatever you think. And he goes, no, I'm going to need you to tell me because he didn't want to be in trouble later right. or doing yeah, that, it wrong. That, I will tell you, for most guys, that's a dangerous phrase because it's, it's dangerous. Like, yeah. Whatever you think. All right. Yeah. And, and it usually went, means we're about to do something stupid and be in trouble for something. it. <laughs> exactly. You're going to be in trouble for it. You're kind of daring so, us to do something stupid. Yeah. But she really wanted to do this experiment just to see what would happen. So she just repeated herself. She She said, no, whatever you think, Doug. And then she added, I trust you. I trust you. Now, that's a big difference. (laughs) That's a big difference, right? (laughs) So he went off and he took care of the cell phone plan. And she was worried he was going to mess it up. 
but he did fine. Everything was fine. She didn't marry an idiot, right? He's a competent guy. And then that night he went over to her, he put his hand on her shoulder and said, you were so nice today. Hmm. And tears just ran down her cheeks. They, she crawled into their same bed for the first time in six months that night. And that was over 20 years ago. She still gets tears in her eyes when she talks about how wonderful her marriage is now and how tragic it would have been to throw it away if she hadn't learned the intimacy skills to make the man, who it turns out to be the man, love of her life, to have the kind of marriage that they have now where they, it doesn't feel like such hard work. It's not a bad marriage, right? It's not, it defies that the myth that all marriages are bad. Mm-hmm. It's now, you know, like I described mine, it's like my soft place to land is to find out that I'm beautiful and I'm wonderful and I'm special. And and we all need that. We all want that. And, and I want every woman to have that. And that's why I'm on a, this mission to get every woman these skills in her hands right. so we can end world divorce. Well, and part of it too, I think it's an interesting thing. In a way, it's almost giving up on perfection so that you can have... I don't know what word to put in there because <laughs> it's not perfect, but it's not, it's definitely not imperfect either. If that makes it's sense. It's not perfect, yeah. but it is wonderful. That's yeah, what I would That's say. Why, there's the word. Right? I would I use that one. Yeah. To feel loved, to know how to love and be loved in return yeah. is, gosh, I can't think of anything that I think is more important now. But I, I just, my parents are divorced. So that wasn't modeled for me so well. Mm-hmm. I was doing the same thing I saw them doing and I was going to get those same results until, yeah, I feel so fortunate. Yeah. So blessed that I got my hands on these six intimacy skills. Yeah. Giving up on that idea of I have to have, everything has to be perfect. You know, that, that, because here's the truth, even if you micromanage and try to control everything, it's still not perfect. (laughs) In fact, it's less perfect. (laughs) And it's more exhausting. And it's very tiring. <laughs> so much more exhausting. Yeah. I Wait, mean, you mean having two adults actually work together and love each other is easier than one person being the adult and <laughs> trying to do it for everybody? Right? Right? It's when you're in that moment. And, and usually it is the wife that ends up being the adult if that's the relationship. I will yeah. be 100% honest on that. Yeah, it's, I think there's a lot to be said for I think when you, once you have a baby, once you become a mother, that mama bear energy, uh, we think we know best. We, sure. we do. And, and that's understandable, right? That you brought that little thing into the world. You both did, but you did, especially. <laughs> you were both there at the beginning, but you did a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> you remember one, one husband saying, yeah, we just had a baby. I can't even wash the bottles correctly. So she's got to do everything. And then, of course, she was resentful that she was doing everything, but she didn't. We don't always. But she didn't realize that. Oh, well, you don't realize. Yeah. You don't. That that you've created your own. Yeah, your <laughs> created own. your own monster, so to speak. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you've made your bed and now you have to lie in it. And whatever That's metaphor right. you want to use. Um, yeah. But it's not intentional. I don't. No, it's definitely not. It's out of the best intentions. And it, if no one ever showed you the intimacy skills, how are you supposed to know how to use them? And it does take some, it takes some courage. It takes these, sure. uh, it takes courage. It takes commitment. Of course, you're going to be vulnerable implementing some of these intimacy yeah. skills. They're going to feel scary. And that's why I like to do them in a group. Because if all the cool kids are doing it, then it seems a little more normal if you're going to do it too. <laughs> Versus nobody, everyone is saying like, you know, a lot of women come to our campus and the situation has gotten very dire. He's already moved out. He's having an affair. He's drinking way too much. Or he's even domestic violence. We even have domestic violence situations. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm not there to tell them what to do. I'm only there to share my experience. And they inspire me with what they're able to create out of learning the skills to love and be loved in return. So I've got a few questions that I like to ask all of my guests, but before I ask that, is there anything else about the skills that you teach or the work you do that you'd like to, to share with the listener? Yeah. There's just one other thing that I feel like is just so important and so valuable. And that is 
the spouse fulfilling prophecy. So I just would love to share about sure. that if we've got time. Absolutely. And I learned, I first learned about this from Lee Miltier, who taught a course on, she called it auto-suggestion, which I think we'd call affirmations today. Mm -hmm. And she taught this course and a woman went to the course and left it realizing, I've been, I've been auto-suggesting things to my husband that maybe don't serve me. And I'm going to experiment with it. I'm going to change it up. So she had been saying, you lose your temper all the time. It's just like you, you always lose your temper. So she left there and she's, you know, I'm going to wait for him to lose his temper. And and so she did. And she didn't have to wait that long. And then she said, well, that's not like you to lose your temper. And mm. he just looked at her funny. What are you talking about? And their 12-year-old son said, yes, it is, mom. He always <laughs> loses his temper. <laughs> right? so, but she didn't care. She just said, I'm going to stick to this. Because what have I got to lose? Kind of like with me, with my experiments. And so she kept saying, that's not like you. That's not like you. And then not too long after that, they went to a restaurant and the service was slow and her husband started to fume and he's working himself worked up. And he's like, I have a man mind to call the manager over here and let him know how long we've been waiting. And then he stopped himself and he said, oh, it's not like me to lose my temper, is it? And she just about fell on the floor. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so it really made a difference the way she was expecting him to turn up. She was, he rose to those expectations. They were more positive and he rose to those. So I had a little thing going in my marriage where I would say to my husband, you know what? See if you can get a raise or maybe you could try to get a promotion. Maybe you could try to get a better job. Maybe you could make more money. And what he heard was, you don't make enough money. You're a failure. Right? Like, you're a failure. You're a failure. Right. That's what he heard. You're failing you're as a, being a provider. That's what he. You're, you're failing as being, which is an important job for any yes. man. Yeah. Such an important job. Yeah. So it was a horrible thing to say. But I, I listened to Lee Miltier's story, and I got the same. Insight. Like I'm got to, I got to change this out. So I decided to start saying, and you nailed it. I started saying, "You've always been a good provider." And then I thought, I'm also going to start calling him Mr. Moneybags just for the fun of it, because why not? So I started doing that. I would say, you're such a good provider. You've always been a good provider. And around that time, and by the way, I'm such a good manifester with my powerful words that my husband quit his job and he was making no money. And I was <laughs> seething with resentment. It was not pretty. But then I started affirming that he'd been a good provider and he started his own company. And it was more successful financially than he'd been at any of his previous jobs. And it was also right in his wheelhouse. It was something he is really passionate about and enjoys. And he had that company for, gosh, I don't know, 15 years or something. He did, he, he sold it and closed it down just a couple of years ago. But uh, I it was very easy to call him Mr. Moneybags. He'd get these big checks in the mail and I'd say, Mr. Moneybags, you could take me out to sushi tonight. And he'd be like, all right. And it was much nicer than saying, why don't you try to make us more money? Or you're a yeah. failure as a provider. So we see, and so this power of this spouse fulfilling prophecy is to really take that complaint and just flip it upside down. What is the experience you want to be having? And what evidence can you find? Because nobody's all black or white, but what we focus on really increases. We have a lot of power to expect the best from our partners and see that's how they begin to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the again, it's that idea of in communication, the words that we use, the language that we use has tremendous power because there's always a subtext to it. There's always a, you said a certain thing, you meant a certain thing, but that doesn't mean that's what was received. <laughs> And, and that work again, works both ways. It we does. can do this in any conversation. It, it, it works at work too. I mean, it's, it, we do it at work too. We, we do. say things to our employees, to our coworkers, to each other all the time. But it's that idea of recognizing, huh, I say that a little different. It's received a little different. It's really true. I had a student who was a teacher start using it on Students. a kid. And the kid had a terrible time transitioning. Just always wanted to stay in the old activity. So she started calling him the transition master. She'd say, you're so good at transitioning. Look at you. You're the transition master. And then not too long after that, she noticed he just put away the stuff from the previous project and was leading the charge over to the new thing they were supposed to do. And she goes, look at you. 
you're transitioning so well. She was surprised. And he goes, yeah, I'm the transition master. (laughs) Of course I am. (laughs) So people, uh, yeah, they love uh, having a positive prophecy spoken over them. Absolutely. It's we speaking into existence sometimes has tremendous power of we don't, we limit ourselves sometimes because we haven't spoken that reality out loud. My brand is inspired stewardship and I run things through that lens of stewardship when, and yet I've learned over the years, that's one of those words that it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So for you, when you hear the word stewardship, what does that mean to you? And and what is the impact of that understanding had on your life? My brand is empowered wife. So everything for me runs through this lens of marriage and, 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 Becoming my best self, becoming the woman I really want to be through marriage. And I see myself as the steward of my marriage, meaning the keeper of my marriage, that I'm responsible for the culture in my home, if it's peaceful, if it's passionate, if it's playful, uh, versus a tense and distant, which I always, if I want to pick a fight, I can always do that also. <laughs> but today, I just love having the option of knowing that I have like a superpower really to create a peaceful passionate playful relationship that i have now we are we'll celebrate 34 years here pretty soon of marriage and i think that's my proudest accomplishment in the whole world i've written new york times best-selling books and made lots of money and have a certain degree of fame but for me that that's the part i'm most proud of is being a good steward of my marriage awesome So this is my favorite question that I like to ask everybody. Imagine for a minute that I could invent this magic machine. And with this machine, I could pluck you from where you sit today and transport you to the future, maybe 150, maybe 200 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back and see your entire life and see all of the connections, all of the ripples, all of the impacts you've left behind. What impact do you hope you've left in the world? My dream, my vision is that we've ended world divorce, that so many women have not only trained themselves in the six intimacy skills, but also become coaches, experts who help become the midwives for other women to fix their marriages, and then who also light up the next generation and train them from the word go on how to have the kinds of relationships that make strong families where, yeah, where everyone's excelling and feeling taken care of. The husbands are feeling respected. The wives are feeling loved and adored and cherished. And that divorce, that we all stand for each other's marriages, that the normal thing to say when someone says, why I am really struck. He was, even if they said, he was he's verbally abusive or he's he's an alcoholic that instead of saying something like you deserve better you should leave we say oh my gosh that must be so painful and so scary and how can i support you with learning your practicing your skills and doing what you can with what you have on your side of the street right to clean that up because obviously uh, st- we all stand for marriage here. We all support this beautiful uh, arrangement that God's made that uh, sh- should be till death till we part in a beautiful way, not in a, we're sucking it up for the kids kind of way <laughs> until they get old enough, but in a way where um, who would want to get divorced from this? Nobody does because we're having so much fun and feeling so good. So what's coming next for you as you continue continue through this year what's on the roadmap we i've trained coaches in lots of countries now besides just the united states we have coaches all over across the united states and in other countries and one of the things we're excited about is now having event events like we have the we had the cherish for life weekend in may in australia and also an empowered wife workshop in new zealand in May. And 
So we're excited about, I think the next one's going to be in New Jersey, which is domestic still, but we're just excited about. And then, I don't know. I've uh, been to New Jersey. I'm not sure if it counts as domestic. <laughs> it doesn't count as, inter- as the United States. Okay. It's not domestic. All right. Gotcha. Actually, New Jersey is a beautiful there. state. I just got to make fun of it. <laughs> of course. No, we do. One of my powerhouse coaches, Coach Darlene, lives in New Jersey. And we're always like, that's how they do it in New Jersey. <laughs> She's got her own. Just really excited to spread the it's so wonderful to have that experience like the cherish for life weekend where you're in that community with women who are like-minded care deeply about their marriage about their families are really committed to their own self-development so i'm excited to spread those events far and wide and get some more coaches trained too we're training coaches all the time and we just really yeah there's just such a big need for coaches awesome so you can find out more about Laura over on her website at lauradoyle.org.org. And that's Doyle spelled D-O-Y-L-E. Of course, I'll have a link to that over in the show notes as well. Laura, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? Yeah, there is. We came up with something pretty fun, I think, for just for the listeners of Inspired Stewardship. So if you go to lauradoyle.org slash stewardship, You'll find there the Adored Wife Roadmap, which you can download for free, the Marriage Success Kit, which you can also download for free, and a link to one of my favorite episodes of the Empowered Wife podcast that you can listen to for inspiration, motivation, and little ways that you can improve your marriage from wherever it is right now, starting today. Awesome. That is a great gift. And of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But thanks so much for doing that for the listeners here. It's my pleasure. I feel like they should have something special for being listeners of Inspired Stewardship. So that's what we did. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures develop your influence, and impact the world.